Welcome. My name is Quinn Taylor, and I work for QSource ESRD Network 10. Our job at the network is to assist dialysis facilities in giving patient-centered care. My role at the network is the patient liaison. Some may say this job was tailor-made just for me. My dad was on dialysis for 34 years, so dialysis has always been a part of my life. In 2010, I began dialysis as an in-center hemodialysis patient for six years. In 2015, I received a life-saving kidney transplant. I've spent many years traveling and sharing my story to spread the message about chronic kidney disease. At QSource ESRD Network 10, we decided what better way to share the real stories of real people in the arena world than through a podcast. From there, Kidney Patient Views, Real Stories from Real People was born. Our goal is to reach patients and beyond to educate, empower, and inspire those who listen to our podcast. So today we have joining us a member, um, someone who's been a part of QSource ESRD Network 10 for a while. She is a member of our Patient Advisory Council, um, our Medical Review Board. She participates. She's a part of the Legacy um, Land with the NCC, and she also works with the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois to get the Pope. Um, her resume is very long, and it's all stands in patient advocacy. And um, I'm so honored that she is sharing the story with us. So I would like to introduce Ms. Bella Major. Hello. <laughs> um, would you like to share some stuff with us about yourself? Well, as you already sort of kind of gave my general bio, uh, one of the things that I am very passionate about is empowerment in education. Um, you know, I'm an educator by trade, been doing uh, working in the education field for over uh, 20 some years. So I'm really excited to be able to just uh, sit down, share my story um, uh, with us today, and just really hopefully empower any and everybody who will be listening. So, uh, you know, no matter what circumstances or situation occurs in your life, just know that this uh, is nothing is ever final. And because nothing is ever final, with God, all things are made possible. So I want to thank you uh, for allowing me just to share uh, my journey, my transplant journey uh, with you and uh, talk about several things that I hope to inspire and empower um, other particular dialysis patients or any ingredient patients that been waitlisted or even been told that they could not get a transplant to let them know that uh, no, it's not a final, or basically a denial is is nothing but a, just a delay. So um, I want to thank you for that. No problem. And so for those who keep up with our podcast series, you might recognize Bella. She did a podcast. She did our very first podcast, actually, on home dialysis. And if you heard, um, at this point, she has been transplanted. And we congratulate her. We are so excited for her. And I would like for her to share her journey um, from being rejected from the transplant list to getting listed. So if you can tell us about that. Well, you know, I've been doing dialysis now. Uh, uh, this year, if I pre-transplant, I would have been doing dialysis for starting my 11th year. And uh, throughout the process, I had never been waitlisted, never been um, able to qualify, as you might say, as a candidate, a transplant candidate. Since uh, the very first two or three um, times that I went to try to be considered as a transplant uh, recipient, um, my journey started uh, with dealing with sy systemic lupus. And from there, uh, of course, uh, a lot of ups and downs uh, on my mother's side dealt with uh, cancer. On my father's side is when I found out that not only uh, the women on that side uh, is where the lupus came from, but also they was dealing with diabetes. So there was a lot of things, medically speaking, uh, genetically, as you might as well say, that really was against me. But uh, I'm thankful that, you know, I was able to push through. Um, just from the lupus alone, uh, I had to 
have did chemotherapy and have several times, uh, at least close to six blood transfusions uh, due to medical complications and just dealing with that. And so as part of just the, what you might say as a candidate or a qualification for being classified as a transplant uh, recipient, the antibodies, uh, the high blood pressure, uh, the activity of the lupus, the lupus flares, a lot of those things was going on throughout my whole time while I was doing dialysis, and that did not qualify me. My numbers uh, levels were so elevated um, to the point that actually I was told not only by one, but uh, three particular uh, hospitals that I was considering Northwestern, USC, um, University of Chicago, Illinois, and uh, Rush, I was told that basically I didn't meet the measures to be even classified or considered as a transplant candidate. As a matter of fact, it went so far as to um, a transplant coordinator literally just told me to uh, set my mind and my focus on just doing my best care as it relates to dialysis because they did not foresee me actually being able to be even qualified for transplantation. So for, I would say, the whole time after those three rejections, um, I have resolved myself mentally as just accepting that I just was never going to be a recipient. And so throughout um, my whole time of dealing with dialysis, my focus turned from just trying to find the best modality that would really help me to live my best normal. And at that time, I set a goal of creating that best normal. And for me, the best normal started off with home dialysis. And um, I had to uh, move from where I was at. And so I wind up being back in center, but still with the focus and the goal of going back to doing home. I did HHD for two years. That was home hemodialysis, similar to what you normally would do inside a regular incident dialysis clinic, but the mindset and the flexibility of just having peace, being uh, doing your treatment in my own home, that was my goal. So I set that to be my goal versus me trying to consider as being a transplant recipient. It was on one of my advocacy um, uh, journeys to Springfield that I was discussing with another ambassador, and she was sharing with me about uh, her journey and where she went, which was University of Wisconsin, UW. And she was talking about how the doctors really took care of her and how they walked her through everything and some of the issues that she occurred, but yet still, they um, her uh, nephrologist really, from beginning to end, really motivated her, encouraged her to try, and then at the same time, helped her to eventually, she became a transplant candidate. Now, I had heard several times that people were saying that, you know, uh, if you're going to consider, um, no matter what, what nobody else said, consider Wisconsin, because most people who go to Wisconsin, they usually would get transplanted within a couple of months and everything along that particular line. And so I remembered that. And in spite of the rejection from the other hospitals here locally in uh, Illinois, I had considered, you know, she was so passionate about what she was saying. And I was like, well, let me try one more time. And I'm just figured that if I get a fourth rejection uh, based off uh any of the testings and everything, especially if it comes from another hospital, then I was already content. My mind mentally was content on just doing dialysis for the rest of my life. Um, I could just say that the journey uh, was one that was really challenging for me mentally because when you've been told no so often, you know, it, it really affects you mentally. You know, I went through my depression stage. I went through uh, a lot of the emotional stage of being angry at the fact that I couldn't classify myself as a transplant recipient. But then the unknown settled in. You know, it's like, okay, if I did get a kidney transplant, what's going to happen? And I got comfortable. I, I became very comfortable knowing three days out of a week I did my treatment. That's fine. It's over with. 
And, um, you know, I started trying to incorporate traveling with um, the fact of me looking for other locations. So it, it got to the point where I didn't think about even the transplant process at all. So um, when I talked with the transplant team at the University of Wisconsin at UW, um, I was not saying that I was very hopeful, but at least it was just a situation that, okay, do I want to go through this process? I had already resolved that it was going to be no, because I, I was already told that my antibodies was close to 100% due to the blood transfusion. I was already told that the lupus uh, measures was just so active that more than likely, even if I would have been on a wait list, that it would have uh, possibility of destroying the new kidney. It was just a lot of stuff that was really uh, against me. My GFR rate was not measurable to the point where it, it needed to be. So I hesitated. I hesitated um, on just even going down to uh, Madison, Wisconsin, to even sit down with their transplant coordination. And um, the hospital that I was associate here, associated with here in Illinois had just merged and got purchased by the University of Chicago. Now, in the beginning of my um, process of dealing with the lupus, uh, as my advocacy with that and being on the lupus councils and uh, advocacy group, I knew that University of Chicago was a, a spearhead researcher for uh, understanding and doing a lot of research as it relates to lupus. And so when uh, University of Chicago uh, merged with English Memorial, who happened to be my hospital, um, I figured that if it's any hospital or any place that uh, would tell me yes or no about transplantation and the whole process, and especially doing a transplant with a lupus patient, it would be them. Why? Because I already figured that they at least know about lupus. You know, if anybody that could tell me as a lupus patient, if I even have an opportunity to be considered as a transplant candidate, I figured that it would be UC, University of Chicago Medicine. So um, I sort of kind of came out of the funk because at that time I was really, really just resolved in just thinking about dialysis until November 27th, well, that's the actual day, 2017. I was um, at my home 2.30 in the morning, and I had the function to want to go and pee. Now, what I mean by that, for over six years, I had not produced urine. And that day, it was just something unique about that day, earlier in that morning. It's like, I felt as I was sleeping that I had to go to the washroom to produce urine, to pee. And it's like, no, this is just an oversensory type of situation. And in that particular case, I actually did. I actually produced enough to give me at least five cc's of urine. And I was like, oh, my God, that was a miracle. So just from that act, of producing where I did not pee, no urine, to producing that urine, I said maybe something is changing within my whole uh, structure. And so just from that alone, I just I had a little hope. I started believing that if I could produce urine at this stage after over six years, then maybe something is changing chemically inside of my body that maybe what I was doing or what I hadn't been doing, maybe something is different. So I actually talked to my social worker and I said, you know, told her that I wanted to consider going through University of Chicago transplant process and see if I could qualify. So um, I actually submitted my information to request for transplantation. And from the first phase, from the actual stage of the orientation to all of the testing. When I got the results from my testing, um, you know, because when you go through the testing to see if you can even be considered, you know, they took like 
25 or 28 tubes of blood on that one setting. But what was so unique is where that the antibodies was the issue, the lupus activity was the issue previously before, all of my numbers was meeting the measures. Um, the antibodies was not a factor. The lupus activities was not showing as uh, so active like it was before. And then talking with the team, because I never got past just even talking with a team. Uh, oftentimes it would be the transplant coordinator, talk there, she shared general information. And from there, that was it. I never got a chance to really sit down and talk with uh, uh, the nephrologist talk with the transplant surgeons or talk with just literally the team. And this time at University of Chicago, not only did I go through the whole process of the orientation, but I had talked to the team. I talked to the cardiologists. I talked to the rheumatologists. I was talking to the hepatologists. There's a lot of things that was happening that never happened before through my previous uh, processes of trans trying to be considered as a transplant patient. So I left that orientation with a glimmer of hope. My nephrologist told me to speak with the head surgeon at University of Chicago and talking with her who happened to have extensive amount of experience of dealing with lupus patients. After talking with her, I had hope because she didn't say no. She didn't say yes, but she also didn't say no. There was the first time that I felt that there was somebody who really is going to try their best to make me a transplant candidate. So really from that interaction with her, it made me want to be even more engaged and more involved in trying to make sure that I do and I am compliant with everything that they wanted me to do. And so my journey started with taking a lab, taking a test. But then, you know, I had, I'm a woman of faith. And my faith, that hope after speaking with the transplant surgeon gave me the hope to believe that this is a possibility now. Where before, I was just so ready for to hear the no. This time, I left with this hope that this is going to happen. So I activated my faith by canceling any assignments, any advocacy work that I normally would do at the end of the year. And I said by the end of June, I should know whether or not if I'm going to be even considered as a candidate. And then I said, if I am, by the month of July, I will be waitlisted in the month of August. I will receive my kidney. And I'm here to tell you everything that I decreed and I declared came to pass. It was at the end of June. I think it was June 28th. I had one test that was going to determine whether or not if they was going to look at my whole lab, look at everything, and determine whether or not was they going to wait list me. And that was a fiber scan. The fiber scan showed I had no scarring on the liver because I had went through the process of going through dealing with the hepatitis C, taking the Maverick, and I went through that whole stage process, and the hep C was literally showing near to the point of not even showing no scarring. The fiber scan showed that my liver was functioning. All of the labs was coming back, needing the measures. So my pre-transplant coordinator, she submitted the application when the team was making the decision. That following Tuesday, I got the call saying that I was going to be waitlisted. When I got the call that I was going to be waitlisted, my emotions were off the chain. I, I, could, I was just thanking God for a miracle because I really considered myself, after 10 years of doing dialysis, that this was a miracle. And so my emotions were elated. I, I was so happy. Even I was just ecstatic just to be said, you've been approved. You've been approved. And you can just imagine what that's like when somebody tell you 
where they told me no before. Now I have this hospital here in Illinois, and they're telling me yes. And from that yes, it was like, now you got one appointment that we want you to still keep. And that appointment was with my rheumatologist. Once they got a fully clearance from the rheumatologist, that's when I was going to get waitlisted. So even though I got approved to be a transplant candidate, I still needed to get an approval from my rheumatologist just to be waitlisted. I had that appointment on July 27th. After the correction, July 26th. After that appointment with the rheumatologist, they told me, well, we did the labs, we did the testing, and right now the lupus is quiet. As a matter of fact, to the point, it doesn't even show no activity. I was like, oh my God, my emotions went to another level. Because now, from that appointment, they say we did not see any reason why you should not be on the wait list. So right there, they submitted the information to my coordinator saying that I've been released as a transplant candidate. She called me later on that day and said, I am putting you on the list. And she told me two words. She said, get ready, because it's going to be quick. Woo. When my I was, I, I, I didn't even know what to do. I was so stung mentally. It's like I was in a daze because, one, just the fact that I got approval. Two, just the fact that they said they didn't see nothing wrong. And then three, when they said, you waitlisted. Less than a week later, I got the letter in the mail. And it says, you know, and it talked about the whole transplant process. And it says that once, you know, they match, they give you a call. She, she even told me, have your phone on you at all times. Just be ready. Do things like you normally do, but just be ready. Because your time of dialysis will be attributed, it will be counted towards everything that you're going through. So from that, that phone call. She said, not only are you waitlisted, she said, let me take a look. Then she, she said, antibodies, zero. I said, what? She said, zero. So I went from 100% antibodies to zero antibodies. Then she was telling me my tissue sample, everything that they look at, I met the measures. Well, before, I didn't even scratch the surface. So I was just just thankful that the fact I got waitlisted. So my emotions was like, you know what? She said, get ready, I will get ready. And so everything that I did from that point forward after I got waitlisted, it was just to the point. It's like, when I get the call, I get the call. And literally, two weeks later, I was doing a teaching and I had this odd number that called me. And you know, sometimes you think that these are spam numbers because it started off with a 570. I didn't know uh, anybody calling me from Erico 570. So I ignored the call. And it called me back again. And I still ignored the call because I was doing the training. When I finished the training, I was talking to one of my peers and I was just about to enter into my car to go home. And that's when I got a call from my daughter because she was the secondary person that was, they could call, they was trying to reach me. And she asked me, my daughter said, mom, where are you? And I was like, I'm here. I'm on my way home. I just finished this class. She said, they're trying to reach you because they found the kidney. When she said they tried to reach you because they found a kidney, she confirmed, have you received this number, 570? And she ended, she told me what the last, I'm like, yeah. She said, that's the hospital, mom. They're trying to reach you. So, oh, my God, when I got that call, I immediately, I didn't call the University of Chicago. I just got out of my car, and I started dancing, shouting, elating. People was trying to figure out 
what is making me act the way I was acting to the point I said, I got a kidney. I got a kidney. And they began to celebrate with me. So that was victory for me, where I was told no for all of those many years, where I had no hope. Now, not only did I have hope, I had joy. And not only did I have joy, it was just breakthrough. I, my emotions, when I got that phone call, was like, thank you, Jesus. When I called the hospital, they shared with me what kind of kidney it was. They shared with me that I was primary. They gave me the confidence, the guarantee. And then she just said, go eat, because at that time it was 12 o'clock. And then she said, I'll be calling you back later. And they did it. They did just that. So I was leading up to the call. I had the faith to believe. I had not only the faith to believe, but I was just waiting for my turn. I didn't have no doubt. I was just still so excited at the fact that I was weightlifted. I was still running on the weightless high, not on the fact of me just getting caught, just the fact that I was told no so long and that yet still everything has changed. So say when you get that phone call, literally um, in an instant, your entire life changes. Um, it changed. It changed. Wow. And mentally, mentally it changed also. It changed for me mentally. Yeah, I had the mindset so much, uh, so long on living my life on dialysis to the point now I I was like, I had a measure of the unknown. So, you know, a little measure of fear comes because now I don't know where this journey is going to take me. But then I got over that real quick because now it's like, okay. I got to change my mindset now. I have to think about things differently now since I I got the call. I was just going to say the thing about when you get that call, it changes your life. But it's also like, so where does life go now? Like you get so used to you you have a routine. You go to the machine, you dialyze, you do this, and then you you know all of that. Instant, that whole life is kind of – an instant memory, but it doesn't erase yeah. that quick. You know what I mean? Um, it is. You're right. You walk into this and you really, you just know that something that you've been wishing, hoping, and praying for for a long time is here. And yeah. um, you just don't know what lies ahead, but you, you're more than welcome to, you know, embrace the experience. So um, you got to call and you went through, and you know me, I always like to ask transplant patients. And, you know, we talked when you got the call and things like that. And um, yeah. I asked you, what was it like when you first opened your eyes after you got your transplant? The first time you opened your eyes after your transplant, what was that experience like? Well, of course you know that once you first open up your eyes after the transplant, I was like, At first, it's like, where am I? <laughs> because, you know, it's like, it's like I know where I was at, but I didn't know where I was at because it was just, it was just the, the craziest thing. But when I was in my room, when I was in the recovery room, and when I was in my room, it was like, I made it, I made it, and it was like the first person that I saw was the nurse, and she was like. You did well. You did good. And then I, I'm hearing, I'm hearing people, but I felt like a new birthing. I don't know how to explain it other than that. I felt like I was being born again. It was like I was no longer that old self, that I was a new self. Seeing right then and there, I felt the change. Even though I know you you just coming out, you're having surgery. But when I woke up, I felt like I was like this new, this newborn babe. And, you know, this babe, and it, it's like a, 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 a whole new beginning, a whole new me. It, my emotions were so raw. I was so thankful 
because at that time I realized that somebody had to die in order for me to live. So I was so emotional at that time because now I wanted to say thank you to whomever gave me this opportunity to be born again, to have a new life. And it was like, I didn't know where it was going to take me, but I mean, tears was literally running down my eyes. I felt different. I was like, it was almost like I was giving birth to my second child. It was so new. It was so like a new beginning. And for me, you know, after that whole, the whole journey where I didn't think it was going to happen, now it's like I have a new life. And so I was overwhelmed with emotions. I was uh, teary. I was uh, crying. Um, but I was just so really thankful. I was so th- I was thankful to um, God. I was thankful uh, for the the family who that whose loved one lives is, is sharing a part of me, and I'm sharing a part of them. But they given me this opportunity to live. So I was just I was just now just ready just to just to do even greater other work even greater things. So when I first woke up, I, I felt like a newborn babe. I was just like, thank you, God. Thank you to the family. Thank you. I, I wanted them to know so, so badly that they could trust me to honor this gift of life that they gave me. And I really wanted them to know. I, I wish that they were there so I could just could have said, just thank you. And just just really let them know how much I appreciate the new life that they gave me. And that's exactly how you feel. Um, you want that family, like, it's a it's a hard space to be in because that family lost someone that they loved, um, yeah. someone that meant so much to them. And it's such a heartbreaking um, experience, especially if you ever lost someone close to you, you understand just how heartbreaking yeah. it is. But... Um, it's not that you feel, um, but you feel so much joy that it's almost as if you want to extend your joy to that family and hope it'll some way help their healing, if that makes sense, um, to know yes. that that person, it does. Um, that their life was not taken in vain and yeah. how much their gift is going to impact your life and how you're going to allow that gift to allow you to impact others. Um, it's, it's, such a, it's such an emotional um, journey, experience, and you feel so many different emotions in such a short amount of time. Um, where has that emotional journey taken you? You know, um, just even from um, the very first time uh, coming out, uh, the very first day from uh, post-transplant, you know, of course, you know, they, they, they want you to get up and start walking. But the very first day, I couldn't do that. It was, it was like so much. And what was so funny, though, is that evening, because, <laughs> you know, I had not had no kidney function. You know, when, you, when your body tells you you got to pee, that's a kidney function. And uh, I had not had that function in such a long time. And I didn't know that I had a Foley and I didn't know anything of new stuff. So uh, at the time when um, I started this journey of now the healing process, I felt that I had to pee. And I, I was so concerned about peeing on myself, not even realize I had a Foley. Uh, that's what got me up out of the bed, <laughs> you know, to start trying to move. But then on the next day, it brought about, I had this sense of determination. I had this drive in me that, you know what, I'm going to do whatever they tell me to do to not rush my healing process, but to activate it. So on the second day where I was hesitant on moving because, you know, you're dealing with the post-surgery and the, you know, the healing process and the, how the way you feel, the soreness, to the point it's like, I want to get up. I want to 
uh, move. I want to do the walking. So, I, you know, instantly um, the next day, I would take my little small steps. Each day it was a step. Each day it was a, a, a stride. Each day it was it was just like I had a goal. Instantly in my mind, I had a goal. I wanted to, you know, um, I knew I had a sleeping kidney. But I still want, I had a goal of to do whatever is necessary to do, try to help my kidney wake up, but at the same time do what's necessary for what they needed for me to do. So where my newborn day was August 18th, I was released from the hospital five days later on August 22nd. And they looked at that and they kept telling me, the doctors would come by and they was like, wow, we really wish we had more patients like you. Uh, because I guess I was doing things that traditionally the norm. And from there, even from the release the next day, even going into the clinic, you know, I had to get readjusted mentally uh, with taking medicines. I mean, even the more medicine, getting adjusted to the medicines, understanding, um, you know, the anti-rejection medicines, understanding the anti-infection medicines, understanding now what it was required for me to make sure that I be even more in compliance uh, with taking my medicine so I won't have a kidney rejection that, you know, so I sort of kind of became very protective of my, my kidney. And so, you know, and everything that I had to do and the people that I be around, but because this was such a part of me, I actually named my kid. You know how, you know, in, if you have children, you're in the hospital, and then the nurse come around and ask you what's the name of your baby. So I treated my kidney and the whole journey process as my new baby. And so I actually named my kidney. And so from there, because I am a mother, I've been treating my kidney like a mom would treat a newborn child. So, you know, it, 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 the journey of healing is something interesting because, you know, I'm getting used to them now saying, well, you know, this medicine needs to be changed or whatever. And, you know, I'm now at that stage where I was going every day, every, you know, Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays that they require to the point now I'm getting every two weeks or three weeks or something like that. Because as they say, you know, um, that the teacher in me made me very organized. And so they like, we really wish we had more patients like you because I have my journals, my books, uh, you know, every little thing I'm jotting down. Um, I'm doing my own continual research to make sure that not only am I being compliant with what they say, but then try to get a sense of where do I go? You said it earlier, where do I go from here? And that is still on my mind. It's like, I, I know right now I'm still new, still fresh. I know that I'm still in that, you know, early stages of transplantation. So I'm getting used to the fact that my kidney function is so active because the kidney is beginning to wake up that, you know, I'm learning how to go to the restroom more. But then at the same time, I'm realizing I got to retrain my bladder, retrain all of this whole stuff. And that sometimes that could be a little bit extra for me because where before I wasn't going to restroom, now it's like, see, like every half an hour is like I gotta pee, I gotta pee. And so I so that brings about a whole nother um newness for me uh along that line. But I'm still so excited. It's still so fresh. And I, I don't think that this emotions that I have and now will ever go away because the more that I take this journey, it's the more once again that I'm just so thankful. Um uh, with the whole, this, just the fact that I, I have this opportunity. So I'm even more determined to honor this gift, but even more determined to really encourage and motivate any person if this is what they want to do. You know, that's one of the things I'm, I'm noticed. Transplant is for every, is not really for everybody, but at the same time, if you are fortunate to be a transplant recipient, it is your responsibility to honor the gift. It is your responsibility to know what, uh, uh, what it, what it requires for you yourself to be even more compliant and to honor this new life. You know, nobody wants to go through a rejection. So I'm doing 
everything that I can that's within my control to be compliant, make sure that I don't do anything that will cause rejection. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I'm still um, about education and motivation. So whereas that there's some who probably was like me, didn't think that they ever would be able to get a transplant. I'm here trying to tell them that if this is what you want, don't give up, continue to pursue. So um, for me, this journey is, is new, it's still fresh. Um, I think I probably won't be ready until after maybe six months or so, because they did tell me each time I go into the clinic that that's when really I'd be more settled in. But other than besides that right now, now I'm just like, emotionally speaking, you know, what do I do? Where do I go from here? Emotionally, you know, sometimes I go up and down. Even the fact of, you know, making sure that I'm understanding these new senses that I didn't have before. You know, because sometimes this process can be a little bit overwhelming because I feel like, okay, I'm I'm trying to stay healed, but now what do I do? Who do I talk to? And so, you know, by the fact that I know I have a sleepy kidney, so I'm even consulting with some of my other peers to share. I think it's important for us to share our journey, even go back to the Dallas facility just to let those people that you was with for all that many times know that I might not be here, but I'm still here for you. So it's a lot of stuff. It's, it's like I'm in a whole new learning learning curve because I really, this is a whole new journey. I know dialysis. I know what it's like to be in center. I know that renal side, but this transplant, uh, transplant process has really uh, put me back into a, a teaching mode, but also a learning mode. So um, with my emotions, with everything, because there's a lot of stuff that's going forth and hearing from others as well as, you know, knowing what my my situation is. And that's another thing. You got to understand, even though I'm transplanted, I still got the lupus to deal with. I still got to make sure that I'm doing doing things that um, to keep the lupus quiet, because I don't want the lupus to get active to try to destroy this journey. So I got the little extra on me, but at the same time, yet still uh, I'm merging the two worlds, and I'm just trying to um, stay focused and know and learn as much as I can about this new process. Absolutely. And so one thing, one word that I've heard you mention um, countless times since we've talked in this conversation is the word hope. So I would like for you to share about the power of hope, like the power of hope. What is, what can that really do for someone and what does that mean for you and what did it mean to you? Well, you know what, it's it's something that you're even bringing that up about what hope. See, when I think about the power of hope, see, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Oftentimes when you talk about faith and you talk about belief, you know, you you know, most people feel comfortable when they see something. You know, when they see it and they know that they got that guarantee, that's what produces on their hope. But, you know, because I am spiritual, the Bible says that God is even more rejoicing for those who set their belief who don't see. Now, for 10 years, I resolved myself into just dealing with this one thing, one mindset. Couldn't stop. I could have not even want to even consider even going through transplantation. But by that one act of me producing that five cc's of urine, it produced a hope. Just that conversation with the transplant surgeon, it produced a hope. See, that hope gives me that that uh, evidence, or you may say that confidence, to believe that it can happen. See, the hope is the proof of something that we don't see, but it's also the conviction that something, if you believe it long enough and you put your faith, faith is an action word to me. If you put your faith, that means you're doing everything you can with that belief that it can happen. Hope gives you that tenacity. Hope gives you that conviction, gives you that determination that 
as long as you're doing, you keep pressing, you keep moving forward, that that belief is going to manifest in your life. And so my hope will stem from just one simple act is when I believed that if anybody could tell me no, that's because of their experiences or because of that they see something and they're not hiding, they're not uh, uh, keeping anything, they're being as transparent as possible. Like I said, I loved speaking with the transplant surgeon with a hope that I never had from nobody else before. Because she didn't say no. She said, if it can't be at this time, then we're going to do what it needs to be done to try to get you there. So if she had that much faith to say, even if it might not be now, but we still going to work towards the goal of it being later, her, those words ignited something in me to the point that I, even though I didn't see it happening, I believed it was going to happen. So I, it kicked and it activated a faith in me that everything that I did from that point forward was going to be in compliance, was going to be with the, with the reality that it's going to happen. And so I left with the mindset that it might not be 2019. It might not be 2020. Maybe it be 2021. But yet still, it could be, it's not a no. And so when, when you have hope, when you have hope, then that hope is going to activate a confidence in you that's going to give you that what you need to pursue, to thrive, to persevere. That's what the hope means. That's what it stands for me. That hope and belief that it's, an op- it's a possibility. All we need is just a little bit of hope. We don't need a lot of hope. There's a little bit of hope. A little bit of hope says a possibility. And that possibility is going to activate faith. And that faith is going to, you're going to start doing the things that to the point that it's going to, every time, as I like to say, many wins. Even the fact that I got one lab where it used to come back negative, that lab now came back positive. When I had 100% antibodies to the point that I had zero antibodies. Whereas that, you know, the medicine, this change of this one medicine helped to sit there to keep the lupus at bay. I'm just saying, it was so many markers that kept giving me the strength to keep on doing it. Even sometimes it might not have been one of the lab tests didn't come out the way we wanted it to be. But did it stop me from giving up? No. That means what do I need to do to make it better? So that's the hope that I'm talking about. What do I need to do to make it better? Where before, I just like, they said it, I didn't even want to, okay, that's what it is. I gave up. But the hope that I'm talking about is that it might not be now, but Carson said it's the evidence of things not seen, it's going to be later. So that's the hope that moved me. That's the hope that activated me. And that was the hope that made me do whatever that was necessary. When I had those little small mini wins, that's what the hope that I'm talking about. That you don't give up, but you you determined to make it happen. And that's the kind of hope that we want to share and implement in patients to keep them moving forward and keep them empowered as they go yep. through their journey and um, yep. face barriers and obstacles. You know, I think each of us has had our own story of the obstacles and uh, obstacles and barriers that we've had to face through our transplant journey. And um, yeah. You just have to hold on. You know, I always say you find something to hold on to and you hold on to it and keep it, carry it with you until you get to the end. Um, yeah. And let it be your motivation. So, you That's know, I always motivation. like to ask, yeah, it got to be your motivation. You know, I always like to ask a random question at the end. And so I heard you say that you named your kitten. You actually named mine too. If you don't mind, what did you name your kitten? Okay. My name of my kitten is Deborah. 
In the Bible, I know they call her Deborah, and it's coming from Judges chapter 4 and chapter 5. And that Deborah was uh, a natural judge of children of Israel. She was a voice for God. Uh, she was not only was a prophet, but then at the same time, she was a, a leader. And uh, her being a leader, she sat on the council, she gave counsel, and then at the same time, she really judged the children of Israel at that time. So she was not only a leader, she was a motivator, she was a, 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 a mouthpiece for the Lord, but then at the same time, she was a person of, of authority, a person of, of wanting, and God used her mightily. And as you can tell, I'm very spiritual. I mean, my, my beliefs is my faith is what grounds me a lot. And so I named her, I put a spin on the name because uh, it's called D-E-B-O-R-A-H. And I know for some they call it Deborah, but I call it Deborah. And the reason why I call it Deborah because I believe that this journey that I'm on is going to take me even further uh, in the level of my spiritual journey, but then in the level of me being a leader, not only within this community, the arena community, but then external. That means being a motivational, inspirational coach, uh, inspirational speaker, going on, sharing my story, but then also being about uh, empowerment. Because, you know, one of the things I really believe is that we can live our lives victorious and empowered. So I'm about empowerment. I'm about not just surviving, but thriving. I'm about um, just letting people know that with opportunities, that everything is a possibility. So me and Deborah, we go around every day, and I let people just see if God can do it for me, he can do it for you. So I'm going to tell you something funny, well, two funny things. The first one, um, I actually, well, I feel kind of bad now, but after hearing your explanation, but I actually named my kidney Thriller <laughs> because, <laughs> um, like, that's just, for me, that encompassed everything in it to me, like, um, it was a thrill, and I knew it was going to be a thriller, and it was going to do great things, and it is. And actually, when I was born, my name was supposed to be Deborah. <laughs> that was my name my mom picked out, and um, it wasn't until the last minute that they changed it. So, um, you know, Deborah is a great name with a great story. Um, I know you and Deborah are going to do phenomenal things. Um, I can't wait to see, like I told you before, I can't wait to see where you're going to go, what you're going to do, because um, I know how on fire you were when you were on dialysis. So now that you have your kidney and it improves your quality of life and it lets you do so much more, like I just, there are no limits on what you're going to do. And um, I'm just excited to be able to sit back and watch and be a part of the, the group of people cheering you on. So um, thank you so much for sharing that phenomenal story. Thank you for thank you. the of hope in others and um, just being an encouragement. It's, it's phenomenal. I would like to extend a personal thank you to every person who listened and enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to reach out to us. We are QSource. ESRD Network 10, contracted for the great state of Illinois by CMS. You can find us on the web at esrdnetwork10.org. Again, that is esrdnetwork10.org. If you have any ideas for future podcasts or would like to participate in the podcast, you can reach us at 317-257-8265. We also have a toll-free line, 1-800-456-6919. Until we meet again, be encouraged and reach for every silver lining. Bye.